guys, welcome to this week's Tinatmeg Assess podcast. Myself, Ritwik, the host, and I'm today joined by my co-host, Chris. Hey, Chris. Hi, mate. You okay? Yep. All good. All good. You know, you know, you know, the situation in India is kind of, you know, it's it's really really bad. But yeah, kind of holding on right now here, staying at home, kind of isolating and stuff. Yeah, I mean that's good. Good to hear. Just stay as safe as possible. It's pretty shameful what what I'm hearing or what I'm reading. You don't know what. Obviously, the news these days, you don't know what to believe, do you? But by all accounts, it's quite horrific over there at the moment. So obviously, just make sure yourself and your family stay safe. Exactly, exactly, mate. And yeah, in today's episode, we 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 didn't have an episode last week, so probably we'll make up for that with a couple of episodes in. probably the coming weeks or maybe even this week as well if if everything goes according to plan but today's agenda mainly is the UEFA Champions League discussion the semi final and also some patron question from our one of the, one of our biggest supporters Dieter van Gogh who's who's also a big patron as well so we'll start off with the Champions League PSG yeah. versus Manchester City Manchester City No, it it was really a game of two halves. First half Absolutely. dominant by PSG. They kind of respected Manchester City's movements. Phil Foden was playing down the left hand side uh, in in the wider areas. They didn't PSG kind of stayed compact. They didn't allow Manchester City to build up through the middle. It was kind of a four four two off the ball. PSG got that one goal lead. Marquinhos's header, which was a well worked set piece. they kind of troubled man city even more in set pieces in the same half but come into the second half the game completely changed riyad mahrez's free kick and you know what happened with uh, the, the 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 red card incident as well it is a gana gay and especially being yeah. an everton fan you have memories of <laughs> gana gay you know being yeah. good and also like kind of rash at times so it was it was probably one of I wouldn't say surprising result because I thought I thought it would have probably ended in a draw. The way the first half was going, I thought PSG would kind of dominate and get one more goal and shut the shop. But Manchester City found a way to come back in the second second half. So before moving on to some tactical aspects, though, I want to know what what your take on the game was, this overall take. Uh, yeah, pretty much what you just said. I can't really disagree with too much of it. It was. Uh... Hassan Jawam will buy the far the best team in the first half. I think it was over. It's been it's been over exaggerated slightly. Well, I wouldn't even say slightly. It's been over exaggerated how good Manchester City were. Uh, I thought in the second half, what PSG dominated the game in in, in the first half. Played played at a really high tempo, transition from defence to attack, really quickly. And it looked at times that Manchester City just weren't going to be able to cope. I thought Neymar was exceptional. Especially in the first half, uh, and I think what really killed PSG was the half-time whistle. More than Guardiola's tactics, all Manchester City done in the second half really was slow the tempo of the game got down and just keep control of the ball. And once that breakthrough come, uh, both goals happened in a ten-minute period, didn't they? And then after that, uh, this PSG team showed the same flaws that it has year year in year out. They can't. They're not that good. At chasing a game of football, when they're one nil behind or a goal behind, 
in any way and they have to go and chase the game they become very erratic and very dysfunctional and I thought the game the actual game itself was over as soon as Manchester City got the second I didn't see PSG coming into it I thought they tired as well PSG in the second half they showed and it showed as well and they just couldn't keep up with Manchester City regaining the ball quickly than what they did in the first half and keeping the ball as good what they did. Yeah, and in the second half, though, Chris, there was one substitution by Guardiola which completely changed the tie around. Oh, I mean, the game around and probably the tie as well. That substitution of Joa Cancelo. He took off Cancelo and he brought on Zinchenko in. And Cancelo was not having a good game. He was... He, he actually picked up an early yellow card for... Yeah, it was because he was on the yellow, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, bad tackle on Mbappe and he was kind of being, you know, controlling or he was like controlling his instincts as well and he had to care as well because going a man down probably would have been disastrous for them considering how good PSG's attack was but Cancelo went off Zinchenko came in Phil Foden who is probably found most times on the left hand side in the wider areas of the left hand side for Manchester City kind of drifted inside more often while Zinchenko pushed upwards so this one particular change probably helps City, you know, uh, build more pressure into the uh, into the central areas of the pitch. Varati mostly was found on the left side, the mo- left side of uh, 4-4-2, of, of position, out of position for PSG, probably playing as kind of a, you know, compact left-sided midfielder. Paredes and Idris Aganage centrally tucked in, providing support for the central defenders. But if, if you saw the free kick, right, with the one which, you know, Riyad Mahrez scored, Phil Foden won the foul. And that was through intricate kick one to play where Foden's movements in the central areas probably confused the PSG players and he was probably finding those pockets of space. And that's when uh, the foul was made. I think it was Idris Aganage, if I'm not wrong, once again, who, who made that foul and Mahrez scored. So this one change probably for me was... Uh, a really, really good one from Pep Guardiola. And one thing which I really want to emphasize is that Guardiola didn't overthink this time out. He he has kind of found he kind of found a method early this season to keep City running, going through this pandemic ball. That's worked for him in the league. That's worked for him in the FA Cup until the semi-final. That worked for him in the Carabao Cup. That's worked. That that thing has worked for him in the Champions League so far. He went with the same logic this time. He went with the same idea this time out as well. He did not overthink. He did not overcomplicate things as well. And I think that probably, you know, kind of didn't make it any any worse for City as well. So kudos to Guardiola for the first leg. The second leg is going to be really, really interesting though. Yeah, I mean, I slightly disagree with the, the substitution aspect of it. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of people not saying it. Don't get me wrong, I thought Sinchenko done really well when he come on. But if Cancelo's on that yellow car, Guardiola doesn't make that substitution. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, when Sinchenko come on, obviously he kept the whiff a little bit better, which allowed Foden to play a little bit more centrally. I suppose or move, move into the half space a little bit more. Because obviously, we know that's a space that Cancelo's been occupying more often than not this season, playing as, I quote the term, an inverted fullback. But, <clears throat> yeah, I just I just thought it would have been interesting. Obviously, I thought the first goal was quite fortuitous. I thought both goals were quite fortuitous, really. 
in terms of uh, well, just that that little bit of a break, obviously with the with the Maris free kick and the wall situation, and obviously De Bruyne's uh, effort cut turn and eventually ending up in the back of the net. So again, I I don't want to dampen the spirits. Obviously, I certainly don't agree with Gary Lineker's uh, comments. Anyway, don't know if you've seen that about this is the greatest English performance in European history uh, away from home. Or something of that of that nature. I thought that was uh, well, just ridiculous to be honest. But uh, I just thought I, I'm just not buying the hype at this point of, of the performance. I thought it was a very good 45 minutes in which they got a little bit lucky. They controlled the game, but that's nothing new for Manchester City. We we used to them playing in that way. I thought I thought throughout the game they showed a bit of a lack of a cutting edge, but once they got the second goal, PSG just became they lost all functionality. Function they lost they lost all functional ability from a tactical perspective, and they were never getting back in the game. And then once you do that, that plays in, into Manchester City's hands. But it, like like you said, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the set in the second leg now because and I noticed Maurizio Pochettino said afterwards he's not going to change a thing. Mm. Uh, I don't know if that will be entirely accurate. I think he will have to change something because they are going to have to chase the game. So I envision them hitting, starting the game in the same same way. I, I see them trying to attack Manchester City at pace, trying to counter-attack when possible. Uh, I see them doing that. And that might just play into Manchester City's hands this time around, given the fact that Manchester City hold it, the two-goal lead. And uh, and also the two away goals. Yeah, I th- and like like you mentioned, mate. I mean, it it wasn't the most perfect performance, and I think Gary Lineker was obviously overblowing the whole game. I mean, yeah. you, you expect that from him, obviously. So, so I didn't yeah. take him seriously for that. But yeah, it was probably a game of two halves, like I said initially as well. But you need luck in these sort of games. That's oh yeah, of course you do. Yeah. And I think the yeah. two away goals that City have, that, that's the most important thing. Away goals are still a huge, huge advantage. Having two goals away is like a huge, huge advantage for Manchester City. PSG need two. PSG need to restrict City from scoring as well. A 2-0 win would still do it for them. Even a 3-1 yeah. win would do it. But it's going to be hard because City are going to try to restrict PSG from attacking too much. But one yeah. positive Thing which I saw in the game for PSG was Angel Di Maria. Both halves, he was back out there helping his fullbacks, Florenzi, and on 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 the right hand side, he was probably you know balling in the midfield as well, and probably not probably he he had some really amazing passes as well, breaking pressure, and passing under pressure as well, some long balls over the top to Mbappe, and that variety chance which which might have probably given PSG the two 0 lead and. Manchester yeah. City a bit more to do had had Varati got a touch on that Mbappe cross. So Di Maria was was really really good in that game defensively as well as offensively for me. And I think he's still going to be a really really important piece in the second leg or an important player in the second leg if PSG want to go through. Yeah, I think he's been probably one of the most underrated players in world football now since possibly the 2014 World Cup, maybe even be, even. Even beyond that, really, 
he's always played in a team that has had maybe more high profile uh, or more players of a higher profile than himself but yeah he's a fantastic footballer he's often sort of wrongly sort of maybe wrongly labelled because of his spell at Manchester United but and the fact that it didn't quite work out but there's certainly certainly mitigating factors in regards to that the fact that he's not really a Louis van Gaal type of player in terms of the fact that he does like to uh, roam roam from his uh, from his position and obviously there was personal circumstances because I think his I think his house got burgled or held up or something of that nature but yeah he, he's a fantastic footballer Di Maria and I thought he was every time I see him I don't think I've ever seen him have a bad game but he never quite gets quite he never quite gets the sort of profile I don't know I know he was in he was in the Real Madrid team and Ronaldo etc He's obviously in this PSG team with Neymar and Mbappe. We're obviously always going to get more products, but he, he is really, really an exceptional footballer. He really is. Can play both left and right. Got a, He can ship him with goals, some very good goals, can cross the ball. His, his football brain as well. He, he's got a very, you can see he's got a very high f- football IQ and the fact that uh, of what he does on the pitch in terms of movement. And, uh, and like I said, in this day and age of uh, pressing and possessing, any footballer willing to trap back is worth his weight in gold. Absolutely, absolutely. So moving on from this game, though. But before moving on, Chris, I just want to know who do you think will win the tie? Who do you think will move on to the final? Uh, good question. I, I, <sighs> ne- ne- Neymar actually said that he'll do en- everything in his power to win. The second leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know what? It, it's such a difficult tie because for me, you don't want to be going playing Manchester City, the one team you don't want to be playing when you need to score. <laughs> you need to go at them and score because you could play into their hands. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Sergio Aguero started this game for them, just to give them that clinical edge if they need to. Uh, they need to be a bit more which I think, they, I think they do they need to be a bit more well clinical in the final third but as well I thought PSG showed me showed enough in the first half in the first leg that they can go out and win this game and score goals and I know they only got the one but it wouldn't have surprised I think anyone watching the game could have said maybe they should have had another another one at least with a, if, if their play was a little bit more decisive um, in the final third so Ooh, I don't know. I really don't know, to be honest. I'm going to go with... I'm going to have to go with Manchester City. I'm going to have to go with Manchester City. I think I think PSG have got one, that one obvious flaw and they still haven't got over it yet is the fact that when they're chasing a game, they don't seem to be patient. Everyone seems to be rushed and they seem to be quite erratic. And everyone's, every, Neymar just starts deciding he wants to play everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, go, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to give it to Manchester City to go through. Same, same here as well. I think that two goals uh, away probably will help them, and they can shut shut down the game. They've been so good at shutting down games, shutting down chances for opposition or good quality chances for opposition this season. And I think they yeah. probably probably do more of the same against PSG. At the end, had. Yeah, plus a just got against suspended, isn't he? And yeah, he's actually a big player for PSG. Whenever I've seen them play, 
He really is. Uh, and I think I think that midfield area, PSG, still got a few question marks over it. Uh, it's a little bit misbalanced, I think. So whether Verratti plays, be interesting to see what role he plays in the second leg. But yeah, I think I think only only Manchester City themselves can mess this up from here. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Probably I might have probably spoken about Pep being properly Pep way too early. Yeah. Let's see, let's see though. But yeah. moving on to the second game, another big game: Chelsea versus Real Madrid. Yeah. Chelsea once again coming out with an away goal. It was a one-one yeah. draw. I think, I think it was probably again, probably kind of an even game. At, probably at the end of at, at the end, I thought it was probably an even game because Chelsea started the game really, really well. And don't get me yeah. wrong, they should have they should have really finished the game off early in the first half. So many yeah. chances. They took the game to Real Madrid. Real Madrid couldn't cope up so early. They were struggling. They were struggling so bad. Team over now. Missing a huge opportunity, which and that was actually a huge, huge save from Thibaut Courtois. His positioning yeah. in in the entire move, which led to that Timo Werner shot, was actually yeah. supreme. And and you have to give credit to Thibaut Courtois, but Timo Werner really should have finished that. Big chance there. Christian Pulisic later went himself, scoring the crucial away goal, getting the lead before Karim Benzema of all people. Karim Benzema has been has been Real Madrid's linchpin since Ronaldo has left. And I think we both of us have kind of talked about him, I guess, in the in the last episode or the episode before the last one, I guess. We, we spoke about Real Madrid's players. And Karim Benzema again bailing them out, getting that crucial goal. But later on, I saw Zinedine Zidane changing the structure a bit and probably Chelsea yeah. were finding it a bit hard. So... I think N'Golo Kante moving up the pitch, he 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 had a man of the match performance. I, th- I thought N'Golo Kante was the man of the match in the game. He was moving up the pitch, attacking kind of like an eight. And you had Mason Mount just dropping in behind the top two players. Sometimes Chelsea looked like they had both the, both the wingbacks, Chil- uh, Chilwell as well as Aspilicueta, up top supporting Timo Werner and Christian Pulisic. It was kind of a flat four up top when Chelsea had the ball in midfield. While Mason Mount kind of you know dropped like right be behind that front line to kind yeah. of to play N'Golo Kante and Jorginho, you know progressing the ball as well. Kante kind of carried as well in multiple occasions. So Chelsea kind of played with a clear plan. They kind of almost pulled it out as well. and probably ended the game in in the first leg, but it still is game on because of one one. Yeah. What do you think of the game, Chris? Especially Real Madrid's performance, though. Um, I mean, well, I thought the game itself was quite entertaining. Well, especially the first half, but that was just purely from a Chelsea perspective. Like you said, they should have, they could have won the tie in the first what half an hour. Um, also, I thought, and again, I've been impressed with Chelsea ever ever since Thomas Tuchel's come over. I think he's done an exceptional. Job and it just shows how good his uh, his coaching is. The fact that the Chelsea players, as good as what they are, have actually playing like a Thomas Tuchel side and have been really since maybe the first two or three games of his uh, tenure. But I thought the game itself was quite intriguing from a tactical point point of view. It was interesting to see Real Madrid sort of switch to like a three at the back 
Uh, I don't know if that was the plan to stay like that for an entire game because I noticed sometimes, depending on the full-backs and them shifting over, shifting over, whether they were actually trying to shift between a three and a four or whether the Chelsea were just that good, it just actually pinned them to a five at times. But yeah, and I thought as well, going back to the point you raised, I thought it was an excellent save and I think Timo Werner took a bit of unnecessary stick for that, for that miss because... I think sometimes when a striker misses and it, it, don't go, I know it's easy to say a striker should always score, but if the striker scored every goal, every chance they missed, they'd be they'd be they'd be, be goal scoring records getting broke every season. I think sometimes you've got to hand take, you've got to look at the goalkeeping side of that and just say, Joe, you know what that fair play? It's not, it's just a very very good piece of goalkeeping, like you said. Um, but from Real Madrid's point point of view, I mean. It's a, it's a Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid team are turning into quite an enigma, I think, because you always bet against them every year, every year. Or they certainly did even there was even times when they won the three on a row. When I don't even think they were the best team in Spain or even Madrid, never mind Europe. But they seem to have a knack of being able to get through these big, big Champions League ties. They just have that know-how to get through. And again, that's what that's what's showing this year. So at one point they looked down and out. So I thought there's only one team winning this, and then out of nowhere they they get back into the game. And then I thought in the second half they more they, they sort of controlled the game. I thought a little bit better. Certainly got to grips with Chelsea a little bit better than what they did in the first first half. But I just think this year, as good as what we've said and as good as what we've we've mentioned in previous podcasts, how good. Karim Benzema has been this year. I just think they're a little bit over reliant on him. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, you you can see you can see the statistics obviously, and you see how no how how much the difference is between Karim yeah. Benzema th- and the, the what, players. In yeah, I think what I mean by it is I think they're over reliant on him to go through in this time. I still expect mm-hmm. Chelsea to fully go through because. And again, the point that I raised there about this Real Madrid team or Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid teams having that little bit of a know-how to get through these tyres and yeah. a little bit of... But I would say this Real Madrid team is slightly different in the fact that in years gone by, or especially when they won them three on the run, they've had other players that can produce match-winning moments as where this Real Madrid team has only got one player that can produce match-winning moments for me, and I know, I know they, they've had other players. I know there, there is other. I know, I know Hazard is now starting to play, but I still think I, I still I'd be amazed if he if, if he starts seeing the best of him this season. I'd be, uh, yeah. So I, I still think I, I still think Benzema is over the, the over reliance on Benzema in that account. To see, I don't think they go through. I mean, I, I know a lot of people kind of are sleeping on Chelsea because, you know, Frank Lampard kind of took this team. They have amazing depth. Frank Lampard had this team, oh, but he did not he did not fully use this. And you can see how well Thomas Tuchel has come in. I know he's changed a lot of things. Tactically, he's made them... Initially, he tried to make them defensively solid. Once that's been done, he's now kind of working on the attack as well. You can see more cute moments down in in the in the attacking end of the pitch as well when Chelsea played they are definitely working on their attack right now but defensively i think since thomas tuchel took over the team i think they've been like the best team defensively in the premier league 
probably even the Champions League as well, because they don't allow they don't allow too many high quality chances at all. Or, or I mean, it's it's probably very 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 hard to get a really good shot away against Chelsea because most of the time you see the defenders blocking blocking the shots, or you either see you know the defenders intercepting or winning tackles so easily, and the shot doesn't go through as well. Edward Mendy doesn't get tested enough to be to be honest, in my opinion. And that's been a characteristic of Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea so far. And that is something that needs to be emphasized because that that that's one trait which probably you know differentiate you from winning a tie, winning a knockout tie, and you know probably struggling as well. So I think that that one particular aspect that Tuchel has brought into this Chelsea squad is is showing. And I think that was shown in the Real Madrid game as well, because Real Madrid didn't have too many chances either. And if Real Madrid are to go through, you would need Vinicius to do what he did to Liverpool in the first leg. Yeah. And that. Yeah. And you. And and the form Vinicius is in, or the, or the way Vinicius has played in the last one year, he's he, he's full of flair. He is actually really good, but the output is just absolutely awful, sadly. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I meant. Uh, exactly what I meant when I said sort of. I know there's other players other than Benzema in the club that can have these moments, but they're just few and far between at this level at the moment. And I, I just don't see it. I, I really don't. Like you said, I think this. I think the way. I think the way Tuchel's got Chelsea structured at the moment, I just think they're too strong at both ends of the pitch. They're always going to create chances against you. I think the way he plays fantastic. I really enjoy watching them. Uh, he is the epitome of a modern-day coach. And I know a lot of people give him stick when he got the Chelsea job. More the English media, really, because one of the... Uh, and that's probably heightened because of the fact that Chelsea got rid of an English manager. Uh but the English media were sort of like, oh well, he's not, he's not that just because he's won the league with PSG doesn't make him a good coach. Yeah, just because he won the league at PSG doesn't make him a good coach. He was already a good coach before he got the PSG job. Uh, the way he sets a team up, the way his teams press, the way they keep possession, the way they move the ball between the thirds, and 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 the way he he can apply the same principles and get his teams to play to the same principles. But change the system and change the formation and change the shape a number of times is is, is just exceptional. It, it, he really is an exceptional coach, and yeah, I just be yeah, I just don't I just, like I'm in full agreement with you. I just don't think PSG have got enough weapons to to win this game. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Hi, yeah. I got, I got it. Yeah, yeah. So. Same, same, same opinion here, guys. I, I, I think this will once again be an all English final because I think Chelsea have that too much strength this time out, and they actually have a really, really good manager in Thomas Tuchel, and yeah. I think he's gonna pull them through. And because I, I mean, if I'm gonna bet on anyone pulling a nil-nil draw, I think right now it's Thomas Tuchel because, because of the reasons that I mentioned a few, few moments before. So. Probably, yeah. I well, this is just, this is just my prediction though. I probably see a nil-nil game or maybe Chelsea scoring one. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Real Madrid scoring. I just don't see Real Madrid scoring. Yeah, I, I think Chelsea win the game. I really yeah. do. I think, I think mm-hmm. they'll, I think they'll win the game. Maybe one, maybe two-nil. Uh, I, I, again. Yeah, Real Madrid, I, I, yeah. Real Madrid need a. Real Madrid need a. 
obviously. So they they might have to push forward. So yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So yep, that that probably you know ends the Champions League discussion. Both of us probably predicting the same thing this time out though, an all English final, which will be really really interesting. Yes. That's yeah, it will be. It will be. And I've got my predictions. Who's going to win that already? <laughs> we'll we'll wait, we'll we'll wait for that. We'll wait for yeah, that. Yeah, we'll we'll <laughs> wait for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving on now to details questions, though, which are again really good. This is Bundesliga related, German football related. He sent us five questions. We'll take three right now, and we'll buffer the two of the remaining ones to the next episodes because that probably makes a bit more sense. And yeah. Since that's that's not German football or, uh, related, that probably might fit our next week's agenda. So yeah, we'll take the three questions. First thing, Julian Nagelsmann to Bayern Munich, and for a huge fee as well. You see this transfer fee of the, what 20, 25 million euros was mm. it reported? Yeah, that's what's reported, wasn't it? I, and, I've seen 19 million, but I think that was yeah, I think that was, yeah. And I and and I heard that the German national team might play Bayern Munich if I'm not wrong to 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 get the money to get or to fund some of the money and while Hans Flick moves to the German national team, so his question being, what's your opinion about this about the whole transfer fee? Do you think do you think this much fee was warranted or probably Bayern could have chosen another coach? Eh, uh, well, I just don't see what's wrong with it. If I'm honest, I mean Bayern Munich, I've I think it was obvious they were going to make an approach to Leipzig uh, for Nagelsmann, and I'm assuming I'm assuming he's obviously made it, made it, made his bosses or the, the board of directors there that he, he wants a, at least permission to speak to Bayern Munich. So why I, I Leipzig can't? I don't. Yeah, well, why not? I, I've seen a few things on social media, sort of like. Showing a bit of disgruntlement. The fact there is managers now that we are the clubs are now taking fees for managers, but he's got a two-year contract left. Why should they just roll over and say, "Yeah, you can speak to our manager," uh, but you have to just give us a, a small amount of compensation? I really don't see an issue with it, Rick. I think why not? What, what Leipzig? I think the friendly issue between I mean, that's a different issue, isn't it? That's about Hansi Flick and them going to. Uh, and him obviously making terminate getting his contract terminated early and obviously going to Germany. That, I think that's sort of a separate separate matter. But Nagelsmann going to Bayern Munich and RB Leipzig demanding a, a transfer free for him. Yeah, I really don't see why not because he's a big part of that club and at the moment he's obviously a big he's an important factor at that club. So. Why not demand the fee for him? Mm. And I mean, in my opinion, though, I think this probably was what Bayern wanted. This probably was what Nagelsmann wanted as well. He 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 has been a childhood Bayern fan, and he's yes, yeah. he's, he's not. He he's always mentioned that in the media as well that he he wanted to work at Bayern always. That was probably one of his biggest dreams as well, and he's finally got his job. But but. Do you think this is the right time, though, Chris? Because I think the room that he is getting at Leipzig, where he he can probably afford to make mistakes, he won't be a, he he won't be afforded that at Bayern for sure, for sure. 
because they are ruthless they want results they want gold medals and trophies lined up on the table as well and judging by what we've seen of nagelsmann in the past two years with leipzig i think he's been really good i think he's been really really good yeah. this season i would say i would say they kind of they could have pushed bayern even further but if you would look at the both the squads as well i thought i i, I kind of think that leipzig were lacking a, a firepower up front a proper striker yeah. who would get the goals up front neither hwang hee chan uh, nor sorlers nor yusuf polsen could kind of really really impact the season hwang hee chan hasn't been uh, influential at all he had covid he had other troubles as well so and it's his first season in germany so Yeah. the first probably you can always spare the player but he hasn't had too many avenues but and going out of the champions league to a crippled liverpool as well i thought i i thought they weren't really really pushing liverpool in the in the, in the two legs in both legs actually of the no. 16 in the champions league so i mean it probably i mean he did good obviously but i think it at the end of it all by the, by the standards that he set so far or the expectations that most people have of him i thought that this season probably was a bit a bit underwhelming though a bit underwhelming yeah well i think with nagelsmann i think i mean there's no there's there's certainly no doubt on his credibility as a coach i think he's definitely maybe the he's certainly one of the best coaches in your in, in world football at the moment you, you can't take that away from him uh, he really is uh, the way he gets his teams to set up the way he can t- he, he's very tactically flexible isn't he you can play a number of formations from a similar school of thought as what we've just mentioned there with Thomas Tuchel so there's no point in me going over over that again because it probably it sound like it's two German coaches with the same principles um, when you when you ask the question whether it is too soon because the expectation level i think it's easy to forget with with Nagelsmann because of his age he still is a very very experienced man well he is a, an an experienced manager now because he's been he's been coaching top level football now since he was 28 i think he's 33 now so this, i think this is fifth season coaching top level football he's took took Hoffenheim to the Champions League uh he's had two year Champions League experience with RB Leipzig at the moment and moving on to your other question as well Leipzig uh Rifwick sorry is yeah I thought I thought they were underwhelming against Liverpool in the Champions League but I also think it was probably Liverpool's best performance of the season and that's not me getting a dig in at them I just thought he controlled that game excellently I really did both sides well it was sort of over after the first leg if 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 we're being honest but uh I thought that was one of Liverpool's certainly one of them certainly one of the best performances anyway Uh, and when you look at the league or in the Bundesliga they've actually you you've mentioned there an excellent point about the lack of firepower i'll probably go out on a limb here and say if they if they didn't sell team over in the last year that they probably would have won the league this year because they were they, they've made they've caught Bayern twice and they probably had, they've had an excellent chance in the last six weeks playing them and they deserve to play, they deserve to beat Bayern Munich when they played them they just didn't have someone who could stick the ball in the net or be that little bit more decisive or cute um, in Bayern's penalty area. So I actually I don't think he's gotten I know where you're coming from. I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying or it's been a bit oh this season but I actually think he's done a very good job to actually keep them second and within touching distance with Bayern without 
a, a, a credible striker. Yeah, mate, don't, don't, don't actually get me wrong, though. 64 points from 31 matches so far this season. I think they are nailed on for second place right now, unless they lose all the remaining three games and Wolfsburg and uh, Wolfsburg actually win all their remaining three games and even Frankfurt do it. But I think they're pretty much nailed on for second spot. They might finish probably seven or ten points within Bayern Munich, which I don't think is like too bad. I don't think it's too bad. I think it's 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 been a really good season with the squad that he's had. But like you said, I think probably I expect a bit more from Julian Nagelsmann considering uh, considering how good he is tactically, although he's yeah. young. So it makes I mean I, I don't think there's any doubt probably uh, from my side whether he'll do well at Bayern Munich. I definitely think he's going to rock at Bayern Munich, and I don't see I don't see another club probably in the next two, three years, breaking this Bayern monopoly in the Bundesliga. I, I just don't see that happening unless Marco no. Rosa kind of rebuilds Borussia Dortmund and, or Jesse Marsh kind of rebuilds or, or kind of, you know, strengthens Leipzig even more because they, they've brought in a couple of... They've, they've, they're actually going to lose probably two of their best centre-backs, which are Upamecano moving to Bayern with Nagelsmann. Yeah. Konate might move to Liverpool if, if the rumours are supposed to be so yeah. if these things happen they're going to replace them with Guardiola as well as Mohamed Simakan who are two young centre-backs who are really good who are really good but I think that will probably take a bit of time and Jesse Marsh coming in I think you have to give the new manager time as well Borussia Dortmund again Marco Rosa coming in so I think it might take some time I don't know probably Wolfsburg Glasner giving an, an, an outside you know, an outside or out of the box challenge to Bayern, but honestly, I don't, I don't see anyone actually challenging or, or, or probably dethroning Bayern. That would be the right word, dethroning Bayern from this monopoly anytime soon. So I think yeah. he does a really good job there, unless he like massively, massively messes up. So, so I think, yeah. it, I think the transfer fee probably is all worth it. Probably this, this probably will be a long term spell for Nagelsmann, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think obviously the time and the time and is good. I mean, Bayern Munich got a lot of good, well, not a lot, but they've got a core of young players coming through there, and who better than to coach them? I mean, he's obviously proven now he's very good at coaching young players. Um, so I, I think the timing is good. I think Bayern, uh, I think from Leipzig's point of view and a transfer fee. I thought, and that's what that's what it is. Let's call it what it is—a transfer fee. I thought they were well within the rights to claim that amount of money, and I think moving forward, whether that sort of become whether other teams take note of that and start taking, then I, I think I think I think definitely they should do, it, especially if it's a, a manager. I know, especially if it's a change mid-season. I think clubs should always demand the fee. If someone, if if another club comes and tries to take your manager in the middle of the season, then the club should definitely, definitely charge and and the well and and the well within the rights in terms of the contract duration. Um, then I think I think I think this will I think you'll start seeing this happen a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. I think he he had a lot of years on his contract as well, so it only makes yeah. sense if Leipzig you know maximize uh, the money. Yeah. So, yeah, and moving on to the second question, though. Second and third questions, it's linked. Yeah. So, I'll start with the second, though. 
starting with Julian Nagelsmann obviously there's been a merry go round of managers not starting with Julian Nagelsmann sorry Marco Rosa announced his move to buy uh, Borussia Dortmund earlier yeah and Marco Rosa moving from Dortmund uh, sorry Gladbach to Dortmund Nagelsmann moving from you know Leipzig to Bayern and yeah. you have Jesse Marsh coming in from Salzburg who's again a Red Bull a, a Red Bull club actually to Leipzig yeah. and you you have Adi Hutter replacing Marco Rosa who's who's going to move from Frankfurt Eintracht Frankfurt to Borussia Mönchengladbach yeah. so it's it's a merry go round and there's been there's been rumors of you know Glasner as well the Wolfsburg manager moving probably to another club i don't know where so yeah. probably Salzburg i'm hearing where he he links up once again coming home that's what a lot of people have said so there's a lot of merry go round in this top bundesliga clubs this season what do you actually think of all this because i mean i i heard various opinions from people i've heard people say that announcing the manager change in a lot of big teams in the middle of a season probably is it's not probably healthy for competition i heard people say that do you agree yeah. with the sentiment yeah Yeah, it's hard not to, isn't it? I mean, obviously, I think this year is just coincidental in terms of the amount of changes that you're seeing. Don't let's not forget as well, Leverkusen got rid of the spoils of Pisa Bosch as well. And I don't believe that, I don't think they've announced who their next manager is going to be. But yeah, uh, so I think, I think, I think that will be the top seven places, won't it? If I'm not, if I'm not, I'd have to double check now, but I think the top seven places are all going to have new managers next season. If got a, uh, if obviously that's obviously depending on uh, the Wolfsburg situation of course but yeah in terms of the actual manager managerial turnaround it sort of i mean that wouldn't phase me it's it's the announcements i i i think but then it's not uncommon in germany it's quite a common thing isn't it for german clubs to announce that their uh, their managers are going to be leaving at the end of the season or this manager is going to come in or this transfer is going to happen so I mean I've got a bit of an issue with it. I mean it, it would probably annoy me if it was my club if I knew the manager was because if it, it it's human nature for certainly for some people that if you know a manager is leaving to just slack off or sort of rest on your laurels a little bit and and I know I know that was thrown at uh, Bruce Munch and Gladbach when Marco Rosa announced Uh, obviously he was going to Dortmund whether you see it with Leipzig over the next couple of weeks and that I'm not too sure but yeah I, I mean I don't know about yourself or who I don't I it's not I just think there's a little bit of a principle that should be taken in these matters a little bit more respect hmm I mean I I I was actually talking to a Bayern Munich fan uh quite uh quite a few days back on a whatsapp group on a whatsapp football group actually and i mean the reasoning that he probably said was that you don't see a more competitive rivalry in germany it's more like a traditional one yeah so that that kind of explains the whole thing why they i mean none of the clubs are or none of the clubs are too worried about the whole fiasco but once again when you see like you support everton i support liverpool we've been supporting english clubs people who been supporting spanish clubs as well i mean people from people who been who been supporting the the clubs from other countries they they actually come and say that this is kind of weird because 
you are kind of breaking competition in the middle of a season. And yeah, I, su- I suppose. Even when the Upamecano yeah, happened, though. I mean, even when the Upamecano transfer happened, it was probably the same thing because Leipzig that time was Bayern's title challenger. They were in the challenge. Yeah. They, were, they were in contention. And Bayern Munich went and announced Upamecano. So probably some of some of some of the fans outside Germany felt that it was it was kind of weird and you know kind of. Well, no. yeah. Or lazy. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, I think it's situational, isn't it? I think if you look at it this season, it hasn't really. Well, I mean, the, the Upamecano one that got announced when when it looked like Bayern Munich were, were, were going to be runaway leaders, and then Leipzig actually crawled it back a little bit after that, and actually come back into the title race after that. So, but the obvious one, isn't it, is going back to 2013. Uh, when the Champions League, when Dortmund, uh, when Dortmund were due to play Bayern Munich in a Champions League final, and three days it was, or it was certainly the same week, they announced that they were signing Mario Götze. I mean, and certainly at that point, he was one of Dortmund's, not certainly one of the most important, if not best players. So, obviously, that just in itself, it's just. Whether it has an effect on him or the team or not is not really relevant for me. It's it's just to have a little bit more respect. There's no way, there's no absolutely no need that that transfer couldn't just wait. Everyone knows if all the parties know and it's all agreed, why does it have to come out? I just don't get that need for it to come out. Now, the Marco Rose one, even though Dortmund and Gladbach were not in a title race, they were still at the point I know Gladbach have had a little bit of an off season anyway obviously they had no win not going to qualify for the Champions League now but they were still in the running they were still in the running for fourth place um, or certainly in the mix and then Frankfurt as well Frankfurt now Adi who said whether whether people might say he's going backwards so it shouldn't really have an effect is it actually it has actually Frankfurt were looking very good at that stage until that got transfer got un- announced so I just again I, I get what what you what uh, your friend has said there that obviously because all the rivalries seem to be traditional as opposed to say a more heated rivalry I still don't think it's needed but I suppose again it's situational like I said I think maybe this year the teams have just got carried away because they've just thought, well, Bayern Munich are going to win the league anyway, that it's not really having any bearing on, or certainly the Nagelsmann one, the Nagelsmann to Bayern Munich one, I don't think that they're actually going to have any bearing on a title race at this point. So, but I think sometimes, I think, I think they should just, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't see the need to announce it. I don't see, I don't see why it needs to come out, unless there's something that I'm missing but I don't. Why? Why couldn't they say Adi, who's the one to Gladbach, or the Marco Rose, or one to Dortmund? Why couldn't I have just waited to the end of the season? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just, I just, I just the way it went. Like obviously, if it's agreed in principle behind the scenes, then it's not like anyone else can come in and take him anyway. Yeah, once once yeah. you find the contract or a pre pre agreement, yeah. it probably has to be there. I mean, it's it, it, yeah. it's. It's it's probably a gentleman thing to probably agree or, or probably announce it at least at the end of the season. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, it, 
Go on, yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, go on. Good night, go on, Chris. It's just a bit, don't get me wrong, obviously, I'm only looking, as a living in England and looking at it, and obviously being a fan of an English club, I'm only looking at it from the outside looking in. So maybe German fans are a little bit different, and their, their culture's a little bit different to say, oh, well, it doesn't really bother us, do you know what I mean? It's just maybe, maybe you could maybe say that it's a little bit of forward thinking and good planning by the clubs, getting things in preparation so that their, their pre-season sort of goes more fluidly and, and it sort of gets underway correctly and appropriately and there's no sort of disharmony and there's no sort of, uh, what's the right word, there's a little bit, every, everything's sure, do you know what I mean? Everyone knows what's going to happen. So maybe maybe if they look at it from it from point of view that it's, it's, it's not, it's classed as good planning. Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I, I understand that, but I just think there's a little bit more principle in the matter and that mm. these clubs should just wait till the end of the season. Especially if if all the if all the if all the houses are in order and every party knows and they all know what's what and everything's been signed and there's no there's no mishap in communication, just leave it to the end of the season. The media don't need to know. They're going to speculate anyway. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I mean, the Bundesliga is an amazing, amazing football league, and it's bonkers sometimes. Just like this season, where you've had like I think they had like 13 different coach coaching changes during the season, although. More than half of it is, uh, uh, I mean, is made by Schalke and Mainz combined. Schalke had like four yeah. different changes already, and Mainz with three changes this season. So, <laughs> so already uh, this season they've had like 13 different changes. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's bonkers this season, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. And moving on to Dita's third question, though, Jesse Marsh at Leipzig. Do you think he's gonna win a trophy in his first season? Uh, I'm. <sighs> I'm not too sure because I've mentioned this before about Leipzig and it's a sort of I'm surprised they give up Nagelsmann so I'm going to I'm going to I might go around the houses a little bit here but I'm surprised it's like a restart isn't it every time they appoint a new manager I know we know the philosophy of the club and they expect and, and we know that sort of they make the transition from manager to manager quite easy because they all come through the same the same sort of school of thought, but it, it is still essentially a reset every time they appoint a new manager, because you might come in and obviously you'll change things slightly, uh, even though the principles might stay the same. And I'd, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure he will yet. I, I, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You might see a little bit more of a transitional season for RB Leipzig like next year. I think he's a very good coach, Jesse March. I think he's. He's shown that. He's shown that certainly when he when when he speaks, he he comes across very well. Um, his ideas are very clear, so that should that should translate to the players very good. But I think I think it's well too early to say. Well, he's he's gonna he's gonna have a take Leipzig up to the next level because they're they're already at that level really. I think where they should be a little bit more. They should be winning a lot more than what they have. Mm-hmm. Also, certainly competing to win a lot more than what they have. Uh, obviously, I know that might change because we know that they're in the final against Borussia Dortmund this year uh, at the DFB, aren't they? So maybe maybe that little trophy who do might be there for them to, for him to take on to the next level. But I think it's too early too early to say yet whether he's gonna go on and uh, bring success in terms of trophies to the club. I think that's a podcast in itself to talk about Jesse Marsh, the manager. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
I mean, I've I've heard some of his podcasts as well, where he's spoken, uh, the likes where he's spoken to Eckner and uh, Abel Mazaros. Uh, they have they have a podcast. I forgot the name of the podcast too. And yeah. the one with your other Bundesliga as well, a couple of years back when he when he came to Austria to manage Salzburg. So he he speaks really well, and he 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 seems like a really really nice guy too. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I kind of I kind of like him and I I probably want him to succeed as well in Germany. Yeah, and I think I think he's very much part of the uh, the rebel regime, isn't he? So I can't. He knows the club as well, having coached there under Ralph Ranić yeah. uh, a couple of years ago. So I think he'll be given time. I don't think he'll. I think he'll certainly. I think I think he'll certainly be. I don't think there's going to be a drop off at all. I think they'll still they'll still be up there in the Champions League places. Still think they'll be up there as maybe the second or third club, which exactly. they, which is where they are. So I don't think there's going to be a, a drop off at all. I just think it's a little bit too early right now to say yeah they are gonna they're gonna go on to the level certainly in the the next level certainly in the immediate future. And given as well the fact that Nagelsmann it is actually Nagelsmann that is in charge of Bayern Munich. Mm, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much once again, Chris. I mean, a week without doing this podcast kind of feels like a long, long time, though. Yeah, so, it does, mate. Yeah, it does. But obviously, understanding the, mm. obviously the circumstances for yourself as well. So, exactly, yeah. 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 So, and thank you as well. Yeah. It's, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. And thank you once again to all our patrons. Peter, especially for this amazing questions as well and to all our listeners as usual for supporting our show thank you so much until the next episode bye bye take care